This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in, grab a bucket and have a seat. We're talking ice fishing. This is Shack Talk. Brought to you by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear. Kyle Agri here with Brewer Agri Outdoors. And uh, really, really excited to be back for another episode here. We are uh, approaching the end of the ice season. Of course, on the calendar, we're talking uh, late March right now. And, uh, you know, you can feel it outside. You can feel that sun. It's got some power. Um, for those of us in, in the ice fishing world, we uh, we kind of have a bittersweet taste in our mouth when this time of the year comes around. There's some incredible, incredible fishing opportunities here, late ice, and uh, that is always a fun thing to pursue. But uh, we know that with that comes the end of the season, and uh, and right now that's not too far away. It's it's close. We uh, just got back from one of my, I guess what I would consider one of my favorite events of the entire year, um, and th- and that is what we call the Lake Winnipeg Ice Fishing Excursion, and this is a joint event between. FM Walleyes Unlimited and the Walleye Anglers Association of Manitoba. Now, these are two clubs, uh, one located in the Fargo-Moorhead area, uh, the other one in Winnipeg, very similar to a lot of other clubs that I'm familiar with, Lake Region Anglers up in Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Um, You've got the Twin Cities Walleyes Unlimited down in the the Minneapolis-St. Paul metro area. You have uh, Clubs like South Dakota Walleyes Unlimited and their their Sioux Empire chapter and their Glacial Lakes chapter. And these are all organizations that are are grassroots, people-driven, angler-driven organizations uh, where things happen from from the bottom up. And uh, guys, just certainly encourage everyone, if you have a club like this in your area, get involved. As they look at this event here uh, that I just was mentioning, the Lake Winnipeg Ice Fishing Excursion, this event began 11, it actually began 10 years ago, but this was the 11th time that uh, that the gathering took place. And uh, the history of this event goes back to 2009 when, uh, when a group of anglers from Manitoba extended an invitation to some folks here in the States and I uh, said, come on up and fish these big walleyes we have on Lake Winnipeg. Obviously, that sounds like a whole lot of fun, right? I mean, what a, what a good time. And, and so they, they did that, and they brought along a few folks from the FM Walleyes Unlimited Club, which was, uh, which was a really, really neat thing to do, bring up a contingency there of approximately 25, 26 people, I think, if my memory serves me correct, that came up for that event. And, you know... It was, it was a fun time. Uh, the Winnipeg folks had connections from that Winnipeg Walleye Club as well. Um, great t- time on the ice. Fishing was phenomenal. And, you know, the camaraderie was was what was really the memorable part of that first event. Uh, a big chili feed and fish fry out on the ice for all those people that were there. And just that, that wonderful Manitoba Canadian hospitality. And uh, what we noticed, and, and this is something I've seen over the years as things have uh, continued, and I've seen this with all of the organizations, many of those that I just mentioned, and I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, it's continuous throughout other clubs throughout the United States, but 
when when folks in these organizations get together, there's a realization that as anglers, as people who are outdoor enthusiasts, we're cut from the same cloth. We are we have the same likes, we have the same interests and passions. And and having that opportunity to get together and share some stories, maybe maybe share a, a soda or two or or whatever your beverage of choice might be afterwards that night at the hotel. Um, there's some real value and nostalgia with that. And and that's what was so cool about going back to that first event. That has evolved over the past 11 years here or 11 events, if you will. And um, we're up now where we're, we're ranging somewhere between uh, 150, 170. I think we've been as high as uh, 200 uh, anglers between the two clubs who get together during this time. Uh, we, we gather at the South Beach Casino up there on Lake Winnipeg. We get, we get in for one weekend where it's fishing. And how can you beat fishing up on Lake Winnipeg? Of course, there's, there's great, great opportunities for trophy walleye and, and trophy pike too, by the way. And uh, we fish during the day. We're out there on the ice. Um, not necessarily in one massive group, but smaller groups. You might see anywhere from... Uh, six to probably 25 people in these groups out on the ice together, enjoying angling up on the ice, enjoying each other's company. You know, the group that I'm in and and it includes a number of different friends, but we all chip in. We do lunch out on the ice. We grill burgers, we grill brats, you know, and we we maybe one day have chili and it's just a, a really, really good time out there on the ice. And we come back, we come back to the, the casino and have a, uh, we have a, a meal catered on in. So we serve this meal in the banquet hall. Um, we do some, some awards, we do some contests, we do some raffles, generous, generous prizes, um, generous sponsors donate the prizes that we give away and, and draw for. And, uh, everyone's very supportive from, uh, from the industry and everyone's very supportive at the event because, uh, we, they actually don't charge for meals. They pay for the meals with the money that's won at the raffles and, and in those games. We do a real friendly, uh, uh, for fun, Canadian versus American challenge. And, and that that involves uh, drawing five names out of the hat for each team and, and kind of an on-your-honor type tournament during the day on Saturday where where each each group representing their country will total that total length in inches of each person's largest fish that they catch during that day. And uh, Total Inches wins it. I tell you what, what fun, what great times, and what awesome memories are made at an event like this. I look at this, and, and I look at the friends that I've made in the people that come from the States and travel, you know, essentially travel with me, or, or we gather at the, the casino up there together, I look at the friends that I've made with the, the Canadian club, uh, Walleye Club up there and, and those folks. These are lifelong relationships, and it's all happened because of ice fishing and, and our love for the sport and our passion for the sport. Uh, that's pretty cool in my book, and, and I am super excited to see where that event goes in the future. I'm sure it's going to continue to move forward in a, in a real positive and strong uh with strong momentum, but that's just one example. You, you look, and I know there are many, many more of, of these grassroots organizations. 
and how they come together. Uh, they work from within, and they're really driving this sport forward and uh, and creating opportunities for that next generation of outdoor enthusiasts. And uh, get involved. Get involved. Get out there. Be a part of it. Um, go and, sh- and just show up to meetings. Become a member. Um, if they need volunteers, volunteer. You just never know what doors are going to open up when that happens. And uh, in those memories, as I've said, uh, they last a lifetime. The friendships last a, li- last a lifetime and uh, really, really have uh, some fond, fond memories of that uh, event and that trip and the friends that I've made with uh, with being involved in it over time. So, um, you know, late ice up there in, in Manitoba is certainly a great opportunity to be able to uh, ice a trophy walleye. And as I said, trophy pike, there were some big pike that were caught while we were up there. And, uh, and for folks, if, if you're headed up there in the last week here or, or so of the season, make sure you bring your extension. Um, we're talking probably close to 50, maybe more inches of ice. And uh, you got to drill a long way to get down to those great big greenbacks. They are down there, but you got to get through the ice. And so uh, without an extension, you're kind of lost. Um, getting around out there while we were there was, was pretty decent, you know, and, and, um, it was cold enough where the, where the snow was firm, it was solid and you could drive on top of it. This warmer weather we've been having, I think is going to probably soften that up a bit and, and, uh, require that, that tracked vehicles be necessary for travel out on the ice. Uh, interesting dynamic up there. You know, we had a big, big blizzard that went through and that blizzard, um, delayed some of us from getting up to, to Winnipeg. But it also, I think, had an effect on the fish. And I'm not 100% certain, and I've talked to a lot of folks both up in Canada and here in the States uh, who fish that lake quite often. I'm not sure if it's a combination of the fact that they do have zebra mussels in the lake now and that water is noticeably clearer, or perhaps it was uh, on this particular weekend just the fact that that great big pressure change came through with that system, that blizzard, that snowstorm, and uh, that certainly has an effect on fish, as we all know. Um, but, you know, those those fish up there were active that first hour after sunrise, the hour right before sunset. And interestingly enough, if you're someone who pays attention to lunar tables and the, the, the activity associated in wildlife with those lunar peaks and lunar phases of the, the day, uh, moonrise, moonset, uh, moon overhead, moon underfoot, those types of things. Those fish were very much in tune with when those peak activity times were forecast on the lunar tables. And uh, you had to be ready to go when those time periods came because those windows were pretty narrow. They did not uh, they did not extend into the day like we've seen in, in other years. But when they were on, they were on and those fish were active. They were biting and they were aggressive. Uh, other times during the day, they were fairly... They were fairly subdued. In fact, I'd say they were probably uh, in a pretty negative mood. Um, but all, all that being said, when you were there to capitalize on those periods of activity, there were some real big fish caught and uh, an awful fun to be a part of that and see some of those trophies come up on, on the top side. And, and you hear the hooting and hollering, you see the camera come out, and you see that fish go back in the water, and uh, pretty exciting stuff. A little closer to home, I know... Uh, uh, just had a chance to go out on the ice with a couple of friends, Randon Olson of Lockjaw Guide Service, who's going to come on and join us here this next segment, and uh, Mike Toole uh, from Granite Falls, Minnesota, and they joined me up on the ice chasing some crappies this morning. 
Boy, I tell you what, Minnesota, whether it's Minnesota, Wisconsin, whether it's the Dakotas, this late ice period, boy, oh boy, it offers some great, great fishing. We found some crappies that had moved off of the basin of this particular lake, and they were up against a weed bed, up against the weed edge, pretty close to shore there in about 12 feet of water. And uh, once we were able to, to find them, it really was game on. They had, uh, they were they were aggressive. They were hungry, and uh, they were feeding on bugs and insects and larvae there in the mud next to those weeds. And uh, dropped down a tungsten with a couple of waxies on it, and uh, and they were very very interested. And and what a beautiful day when it's pushing thirty five degrees out there and the sun is shining. That is is definitely a time to be out on the ice. Speaking of Randon Olson, he is going to join us here in our next segment, and that is typically our tip and tactic segment. He's going to talk about tulipy fishing, something we did not do today, but something that uh, I know he does often this time of the year, chasing those tulipy as they they roam the open water areas of uh, some of our deeper lakes. He's going to tell us a little bit about that fish and a little bit how to target them out on the ice. And then in our uh, third segment, we will be joined by a good friend of mine, Joe Henry, tourism director, director for Lake of the Woods Tourism. Uh, he's going to talk about some of the things going on up there on Lake of the Woods. And I tell you what, it's not, it's not too many places in the world where you can take your, your uh, ATV, your portable ice shack, and your tip-ups, go on out and catch some trophy pike, and the following day, take your boat and go a few miles down the road and hop in and drop it in the in a river, up there the Rainy River, and catch trophy walleye. That's exactly what's going on this time of the year up there, and it won't be long, and that river will open up. He's going to share with us a little bit about late ice on Lake of the Woods and uh, early open water on the Rainy River. Stick around, folks. we got a great shack talk lined up. We will be right back after this short break. Introducing an entirely new class of ice augers, the gas-powered F1 and propane-powered P1 rocket augers from Eskimo. These ultra-lightweight augers run fast, spin fast, and cut fast, thanks to their performance-tuned engines, high-speed transmissions, and all-new cast bottoms. All Eskimo power augers feature an industry-leading five-year warranty. Get assurance. Get reliability. Get Eskimo. Learn more at GetEskimo.com. Welcome back to the second segment of uh, today's Shack Talk podcast. And uh, in this segment, which is traditionally our uh, tips and tactics segment, we're joined by uh, Randon Olson of Lockjaw Guide Service. Randon is a, is a fellow uh, Eskimo pro staffer. He, is, uh, he runs and, and operates the Lockjaw Guide Service in the Ottertail County area of Minnesota. And and Randon is, uh, he's a multi-species guy. He, he focuses a lot on, uh, on muskies and walleyes in the summer, but, but he really fishes everything. And this time of the year, as we approach late ice, he is, uh, one of the things he loves to do with his clients is takes them out and, uh, show them a great time fishing for tulipy. And, uh, that's going to be our tip and tactic today is, is how to, how to target this species that's often overlooked. Randon, welcome to Shack Talk. Thanks for having me, Kyle. It is, uh, as you said off air, Randon, it is one of those fish that is truly overlooked by many ice anglers. And in states like Minnesota, where the walleye season, the pike, the bass season is closed during certain portions of the of the winter, 
this is a really great alternative to be able to go out and target this fish. And, and, and just for those who may not be familiar with the tulipy as a, as a fish itself that swims in a lot of these lakes, what, uh, what kind of fish is this? What, uh, how would you describe this particular species? It's a, it's a pretty interesting species. Um, there's a really a lot of cool things about tulipies in general, but you know, if, if you've never seen one, um, the best way to describe them is they look like about a three or four pound shiner minnow. It's exactly um, what they look like. Yeah. And, uh, and if you've ever caught one, you, you know that you caught one cause your hands will smell for a little while. <laughs> they, uh, they definitely give the Northern pike a run for their money when it comes to slime and kind of that slimy smell. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Once you've, uh, once you've handled one, you certainly know exactly what that is, uh, what that smell is. Yes, sir. Interesting. Interesting. So, Brandon, as, as you look, uh, you, you are uh, central Minnesota lakes country. Are the tulipies found in every lake that, that you fish in, or is it certain lakes? Are there certain types of lakes that they are more prevalent? Uh, yeah, you know, the stereotypical lakes for, for tulipies is kind of those deep, clear lakes. Um, you know, your shallow, weed-choked-out lakes, there's just not enough deep water in there to hold these tulipies throughout the summer. So those deep lakes like uh, Otter Tail or um, trying to think of a bunch of them off the top of my head, but Star Lake, um, big lakes like that that have a lot of deep water. You know, we're talking 40 to 80 feet of water and quite a bit of that. Those are the lakes that are going to hold a good population of tulipies. And a lot of the year, Randon, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the year, the tulipy spend their time roaming the open basin. They don't necessarily relate to structure. They don't relate to uh, to certain parts of the lake. They're in the, in those deep basin areas, and they're roaming. They're suspended, basically just uh, following and feeding on the zooplankton. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that's a big misconception: is is people will start to look for these fish around some kind of structure, and it's not because the fish are relating to that structure. It's because that's the spot to start looking for the mud and the things that you're actually looking for to find these fish. So they're, they're true roamers in every sense of the word. They're, they really don't relate to anything but food. And so it, you mentioned mud. How does that play into the picture? We're looking for a mud bottom. We're looking for transition areas or what exactly is it with that, uh, that mud that we're, we're targeting? That mud is the, the key to finding tulipies. And it can be a little overwhelming in some lakes because you'll have you know, a half a mile mud basin deep hole, but those fish are, are, are keying in on areas where there's a lot of zooplankton and mayfly larva coming out of that mud and the silt. And transitions are great places to start because that's that's an edge underwater. And a lot of times, you crappie fishermen have seen it too, transitions will hold a few more microorganisms than than just out in the middle of a mud basin somewhere. How do you approach this, Randon, as far as uh, finding a lake and finding an area? If uh, if what you say is true, they don't necessarily relate to structure, but they, you know, we maybe look at that transition area. But beyond that, is it a is it a run and gun? Is it search till you find them? Is uh, there something that might give you a clue as to where to start? Um, first off, you know, the best thing you can do is go on like the DNR website. They have Lake Finder, and you can look up the lake you're looking for 
that you're thinking of fishing and it'll it'll let you know if there's a good population of tulabies in that lake or if there's a low population or if there's none um that's the best way to start you can narrow down which lakes you're gonna have a higher percentage on and from there when you get to the lake what you want to do is is using your depth finder is first off find that mud where that transition line is whether it's 25 feet or 35 feet or 45 feet whatever that line may be so you can eliminate most of the lake from there on out and just concentrate from that depth and deeper um, the best way i've found is pick a deeper hole in the lake most of the lakes around here will have a a deep basin that's maybe a half a mile to a mile long and pick one of them and just focus on that for your trip and pick a spot start drilling holes and just start marking until you you get those glimmers they'll be very high off bottoms so it'll be easy to pick them out but but start marking holes until you start seeing fish and once you f- see fish you can really focus on that area so it's gonna go ahead you're, you're talking about marking fish and and when we're marking fish you said they're suspended they're higher up in the water column um typically are you going to find individual fish are you going to find a school or are you going to find a group of them together you're more than likely you're going to find a group um you might mark one fish individually but if you mark one drill that area out a little bit better because they're they're at school is going to be right in that area they're not typically loners when you find one you're going to find a bunch of them that's uh that's certainly good advice um this is a this is a fish that I was just introduced to honestly last winter last spring. A good friend of mine took me out. He said if you've never done this, you have to try it. He took me out on a lake. We went to a particular area and we did exactly what you said, Randon. We we found a basin area with a mud bottom. We started drilling holes every 30 40 yards and we drill a hole and we'd look. We drill a hole and we'd look. Um all of a sudden we got to an area where just, just as you had talked about, same thing happened for us. We got to that area, and all of a sudden there were marks about 25 to 30 feet down in the water column, over 60 feet of water. And he said, here we are. This is the spot. We're going to start fishing. And, uh, and he had seven fish on the ice before I had one hooked up. Um, and so there's a little (laughs) knack to it. There's a little bit of a game and a learning curve. It was, it was a whole lot of fun because being able to fish outside, you know, it was late March and being able to fish outside and and see and watch and learn was really, really helpful. But these fish are not, I mean, they're not like fishing and, and getting into a group of, of five inch bluegills or perch. I mean, they put up a fight. They put up a great fight, and we had an absolute blast catching these things. Um, Randon, what is what is your recommendation as far as a setup? Rod, reel, line, lure. What's your favorite presentation when it comes to fishing tulabies? Tulabies are, yeah. If you've ever cut a smallmouth bass, it's it's pretty similar, pound for pound at least. You know how how these tulabies fight, and I I like to run lighter gear than most guys do um most of the time it's not a really hard hit it's just kind of almost like a sunfish peck or, or a crappie bite something like that it's a little softer that's why i like uh, like a medium light action rod or even light action um i'll run like four to six pound test on it and i do run mono for this application you know the biggest reason like you were saying is you fish outside a lot 
and that mono doesn't ice up as bad as braid will. Um, you've got a little stretch in it, which is okay. You know, you're not fighting a 10 pound fish with it. So the stretch doesn't really come into play, but as far as rigs go for these, there's a lot of options out here. Um, probably the most effective one that I have found is a daredevil and probably about a three inch daredevil and you want like a silver or a gold something very flashy and then you remove the bottom hook off that daredevil tie on about a, a four to six inch piece of, of monofilament and put a small tungsten jig something like a uh, fireball jig or mud bug something like that and put that on and, and load that thing up with wax worms because that gives you everything you need in one setup um, you've got the flash to attract those fish from a ways away, and then you've got the bait underneath that they're going to ultimately eat. Now that's by far, hands down, the best rig I've used. Um, there's a lot of other systems out there. If you're going to sit in one spot, you can do a two-rod system, which is one rod with a, a small tungsten on it and another rod with a, some kind of a flasher, you know, a daredevil or a big spoon, something like that to attract them. Um, you can use small jigs. The problem with small jigs is, is a lot of times you're waiting for the fish to come under your hole instead of attracting them to you. So that's why the best rig you can use is that dropper rig for sure. You know, that's interesting, Randon, because this is exactly how I was taught to fish tulabies. Exa exactly like you described it. It was the same type of setup, same scenario, medium light rod. And um, we had monofilament line. We used, you know, just a, a, a medium, probably a two and a half inch, um, like a jigging spoon. And, yep. and I think it was like a macho minnow or something of, of that nature and, and a dropper. Our dropper was about six, eight inches long. And then a, a little tungsten with the waxworms, just like you had described it here a minute ago. And, and um, it was interesting because you would, you would jig, you would rip that flasher, you know, that attractor. Those fish then would you all of a sudden there'd be more of them on your on your flasher on your vexilar, and then it was the finesse game of getting them to bite that tungsten, and it was kind of this one two punch, um, and and honestly for a while the action was so hot and heavy we couldn't fish two rods we had we each had two of them rigged up but it was so fast and furious that we had all we could do just to fish one rod and concentrate on that. Yeah, and that, you know, you get on a good school, 100 fish day is not unheard of by any means. It's 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 very doable to hit 100 fish day fishing tulabies if you get on the right school. Randon, you mentioned the, um, the, the metallic finish on your attractor, on your spoon, on your daredevil, on whatever it might be that you're using above the dropper. What about the tungsten? Is color a consideration or doesn't it really matter? Do you have some preferences there? Color is my last consideration when it comes to this, but there, there's two keys about that tungsten. First of all, it has to be a tungsten because if you go with regular lead or a smaller jig, what'll happen is when you rip that, that flasher up, that jig's going to come up by your flasher and it's going to be hesitating coming back down. And those fish can either pick it up while it's falling and you won't feel it, or it's, it, you, what happens is you get slack in that dropper line. So having that tungsten allows that jig to, to stay underneath that flasher at all times and keeps that bait down underneath it. Um, another consideration, like I said, color is the last one, but 
this is one that a lot of guys don't use and it kind of goes against the grain for fishing panfish is when you put your waxies on pinch them so they they bleed out a little they they uh kind of explode and what that does is it just puts a lot more scent underneath your hole and that'll stay there for quite a while while you're fishing so it'll keep fish interested in your area for a lot longer that's a great little tip because I'm always uh, very, very conscientious about how those wax worms are going on the hook and trying to keep them whole, trying to keep them plump, trying to keep them full. And, um, you know, based on what you're saying, that, that's kind of, you just throw that out the window when you're fishing tulabies and, and you're going to increase the scent. And I would guess you can probably put a few more on the hook in that case and, and maybe load it up a little more with the, with the meat of that wax worm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you know, tulipy fishing is not a subtle game. Um, the bites are subtle and it's finesse to get them to bite. But when those fish come in, they're in and out before you can even really do anything most of the time. So you're better off when those fish come in, keep working them up and up and up and up. And, and if you keep doing that, you'll notice that these fish will come up all the way two, three, four feet under the ice before they'll hit it. And the farther, just like every other fish, the farther you can get them up from where they started, the more aggressive they're going to be and the better off, better chances they're going to hit it is going to be. We made it out a few times last spring in a, in a number of different lakes. And what I found, Randon, is that the, the lakes were different in terms of the, the level of, of where those fish were suspended. You know, one lake, it was uh, 18 feet down under the ice. The next lake, it was 27 feet down. Another one, it was 30 feet down. But once we were able to target the depth that they were moving in and out of, we could keep our lures and our flashers within a two to three foot zone, if you will. And it seemed like almost all of the fish, or at least the active fish, were coming in in that same level. Yeah, and then a lot of that is the food. You know, there's a certain level, you know, crappie fishermen have seen this when the dark nighttime comes, the screen will just light up with zooplankton and other microorganisms that are coming out of that mud and sand. Well, the crap, the tulipies do the same thing those crappies do is they'll pick a level. And as the day goes on, they'll either move up or they'll move down a little bit. But for the most part, you're within about a five foot section of your water column that those fish are going to stay in throughout the day. And they'll just wait. You know, and once that dark comes, those zooplankton will rise up and it's a, just a feeding frenzy. So do you have a preference, Randon, as far as mornings, midday, evenings? Is there a prime time when it, it comes to targeting tulipy? I think a lot of it is a, is a little bit lake dependent, but for the most part, you can catch them throughout the entire day. Uh, on all the lakes that I've fished around here, you, you might require a little bit more moving. They seem to stay in one area a little longer in the mornings and evenings. But if you're willing to put in a little little hoofing time and, and kind of chase these fish around, you can really get into them all day long. Okay, so they're, they're, a, they're a blast. They're a lot of fun to catch. But one of the things that was such a pleasant surprise for me was the fact that they taste great. They're awesome on the table. And, and you look at the tulipies and you, you think, just as you described, this is a great big minnow. What, what, what am I going to do with that? Um, the ones I kept, I actually pickled some of them. It was delicious, great for pickled fish. But more of them, probably about two-thirds to three-quarters, I put on the smoker. And they were absolutely delicious. They were a very sweet, that subtle smoke taste on on crackers, with some cheese. I mean, just absolutely 
delicious, and it was like a treat. Randon, what what do you prefer? Like, what what do you like to do with the tulipy after you catch them? Smoked is by far the best way. Um, I, I've tried them, filleting them out and and cooking them up like a walleye, and it's okay. It's it's you're not gonna not eat it. It's pretty good, but I I don't think you can beat a smoked tulipy. I had an absolute blast. I, I loved it. It was great. It was one of my favorite things, and I haven't had a chance to make it out yet this year to target Tulabi, but I can tell you it is definitely on my radar. It is on my agenda, and now as we approach the last you know month, month and a half of, of ice and safe ice, I will definitely be out there chasing after some Tulabi and, and firing up that smoker here, and especially as it, you know, the the... As the ice season gets closer to an end, the snow starts to melt. You can get back out on your deck, and you can get that smoker out. And it, it it's actually pleasant to be outside on some of those days, and it makes for a great, great combination. Yeah, it really does. And th- those are the big keys with tulipy fishing is just keep moving till you find them. Stay aggressive all the time. And, you know, just watch that water column because you, when you get into a pile of them, you're, you're going to have a lot. And, and it's easy for everybody to do it. That's what's so fun with this is when you get on a good bite, anybody, no matter what the skill level, can, can figure out how to catch these fish and, and really have a fun time. And when you get a big school of them out there and you're out on the ice and it's a nice day, it's a beautiful morning, you're fishing outside, it's kind of that social aspect of it as well, right? You're, you're out with your buddies, your family, your friends, and uh, and you're not just enjoying the fishing, you're enjoying each other. Right. Yep. And that's what the outdoors is all about. So, Fantastic. Uh, Rand, and I really, really appreciate you joining us and sharing some of those tips. Uh, you know, uh, being very inexperienced in, in fishing Tulabi, it was... Uh, it was helpful for me because it, it reinforced what I had learned last year, and it also gave me a few tips to, to take it to the next level. Um, if folks are interested... Maybe they have additional questions. Maybe they have questions about tulipy fishing or questions about uh, the Otter Tail Lakes area in Minnesota, if they're going to have a, a trip planned for that area. Hey, maybe they even want to uh, get a hold of you and, and book a day out on the ice or on the water with you. How can they reach you? What, what's the best way of them getting a hold of you? Well, you can uh, look me up on Facebook at Lockjaw Guide Service or my website at lockjawfishing.com. But the best way to get a hold of me would just to be give me a call at 218 218- Six four zero zero one five eight. Fantastic! Thanks, Rennan, and really appreciate it. Uh, good luck on the ice out there the rest of the season. Thank you, Kyle. Folks, stick around. We've got uh, one more segment left, and we're going to focus in on our our destination and location segment. We'll be right back after a quick break, and uh, stick around. For the past half decade, ION has been the best-selling and highest-rated electric auger on the ice. It was also the first high-performance ice auger powered by lithium-ion technology. No other electric ice auger shreds faster, cuts smoother, or drills through more ice on a single charge. Whether re-drilling old frozen holes in your shack or running and gunning across the lake, ION is the perfect auger for you. Trust the proven performance of ION and make the switch to electric this ice fishing season. Visit us at IonIceAugers.com. Welcome back to Shack Talk. This is our segment three, and uh, traditionally it is our location and destination segment where we focus in on a a popular ice fishing destination within uh, kind of the ice fishing world. And 
And I, I am just uh, very excited to welcome back a guest that joined us last year. Uh, we have with us Director of Lake of the Woods Tourism, Joe Henry. And uh, we are, you know, you, you can't go too long without coming back to Lake of the Woods in any conversation about ice fishing. Joe, welcome back to Shack Talk. Thanks, Kyle. Good to be here. It is, uh, as I said, Lake of the Woods, when, when we think about ice fishing, we think about season-long outdoor opportunities on the water, on the ice. Lake of the Woods is it. I mean, that's kind of the mecca. That's this the center from there, and and things go out and 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 I know a lot of our listeners uh, like me have made many trips up there, but there's always more to learn. There's always more to experience, and there's always more adventure on that next trip. Yeah, there, there's such a it's such a big body of water, very diverse with you know the three different areas. You know, the Rainy River, the huge basin that kind of is like a mini Great Lake called Big Traverse Bay. And of course, the Northwest Angle, which is, you know, the northernmost point of the contiguous United States, and it's where the, the fourteen thousand five hundred and fifty-two islands of our lake begin. It's it's a very different part of our lake. It's kind of where the Canadian Shield begins. And they each have their own personality, right? I mean, as you look at those three different areas of the same body of water, they each have certain species. They each have certain tactics and techniques. They each have certain characteristics uh, when it comes to structure and things like that. Absolutely. And, and they also have different, uh, uh, there's patterns to each of the three based on the, the whole biology of the system. And yeah, and you know, the, the, the bottom line is this, is that, you know, of course they call a walleye, a Lake of the Woods, a walleye capital of the world. And, you know, that's with all due respect to the, the wonderful, wonderful rivers and lakes throughout the Midwest. We've got a lot of wonderful bodies of water. And, but, you know, Lake of the Woods is special in that regard. It's at least one of them that's mentioned because, you know, not only do we have uh, a ton of walleyes, I mean, they estimate, and this is not, a, you know, a real um, scientific estimate, but you know, it's been estimated there's probably 10 million walleyes in Lake of the Woods. And, you know, on top of the walleyes, you have saugers. And on top of the saugers, we have monster walleyes. And you know, even the monster walleye thing, I mean, you know, that's not to be taken for granted. I fish some really, really good fisheries that if you catch a big walleye in that fishery, it's 26 or 27 inches big. Right. You know, on Lake of the Woods, you know, we're talking 32, 33, sometimes even 34 inches for a huge walleye. And there's a lot of them. And, you know, uh, the, the, whole, the whole deal behind the, the world-class fishery that way is, Number one, we got the right gene pool in our system. We're very, very lucky that way. Secondly, we have a huge, huge body of water with over 65,000 miles of shoreline. So, you know, we, we have abundant forage in many different forage bases. You know, if there's one um, uh, part of the forage base that isn't doing real good this year, well, guess what? There's a whole bunch of other forage bases to, to pick up the slack. Um, and, and of course, the other thing is we have tulabies. And, you know, uh, talking to a Minnesota DNR biologist, he had made the comment that in Minnesota as a whole, if you have either really big walleyes or really big pike, the chances are that lake has a good population of tulabies in it. Just because tulabies, you know, when those walleyes, Kyle, get to be about 25 inches long or five pounds, their diet typically shifts. So they focus on tulabies as one of their main sources. And that's a huge high protein fish for the, that's for the like walleyes. And that's like the ribeye steak of the walleye and pike and these trophy predators, isn't it? I mean, it's just oh, yeah. high protein, high oil, high fat content. And it's, a, it's an important piece of their, of their ability to reach that trophy potential. Well, and yes, it is. And, you know, it's also um, part of the puzzle 
as far as, you know, from when, when uh, anglers are, are fishing tournaments, you know, where those big walleyes are found. You know, oftentimes they're found in no man's land out in the big open waters because that's where the, the tulipies live. They're just following them around out in out in the middle of the abyss out there, just uh, just roaming, probably suspended, and just uh, trailing behind those schools, I can imagine. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, obviously it depends on what time of the year because those those big females will go to their spotting areas and such but and go shallow some of the time. But, I mean, as a rule, yep, they're, they're going to be focused on tulipies. I mean, there's many times, Kyle, where – We'll catch a big walleye, and in some cases, it even has a big tail sticking out of its mouth from a tulip it just ate. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing! That is yeah. absolutely amazing. And you bring up a really good point, Joe. And that that is something that I hadn't considered, um, just in the diversity of that forage base, because so often you hear of other fisheries where there's a crash in whatever it is, the shiners, or there's a crash in the perch, or there's a crash in whatever that forage base that's key to that fishery. And the whole fishery suffers. And you see oh, all of a sudden that lake goes into a downturn. Um, but as you described, with Lake of the Woods being that diverse, you have other sources of food that those fish can fall back on. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I've, I've fished lakes before where, you know, the bite's on. I mean, the bite is on, but, you know, the bite is on because those fish are starving. And, you know, you catch a walleye that has a real big head and a skinny, dilapidated body, and that's not good, you know. And and uh, I, I think um, – you know, I've heard biologists say before that when a fishery has an issue, oftentimes it's not a fish issue, it's a forage issue. And uh, I, I just, we're, we're very lucky that Lake of the Woods has so much. You think about the variety, and I'm going to miss some, but I mean, right off the bat, we got emerald shiners, tulabies, uh, a special minnow that lives in the deep called perch minnow, young of the year perch. Of course, there's a lot of cannibalism goes on right now. You know, uh, uh, I just got off the ice here this past week, and I'll tell you what, I mean, we caught... I mean, <laughs> dozens and dozens and dozens of these walleyes and saugers that are, you know, six to eight inches long. That's, I mean, it, wow. there, there is just, yeah, it, it's, the future's looking bright, right? But um, there, there's just so much food uh, come hatches of different kind of bugs that are larval in the nature before they hit the surface and fly away in the summer. Uh, we get bloodworms, crayfish. I mean, gosh, the, the you know, <laughs> the list goes on, right? But the point is, is that, it's really a healthy fishery because of all that forage. It's really important. And and like we've seen over the years, Lake of the Woods has maintained that maintained that fishery in in a, a status or a quality that's drawing people there consistently year after year. Um, Joe, as we look right now, we look right now. We're we're mid March, right? And and the ice season for a lot of folks has. Well, let's face it, for some people, they've already put their stuff away in storage and others, they're, uh, they're still going, but it's, you know, the end, we can see it. It's it, our time is limited, but what's really neat about Lake of the Woods is there's some incredible late ice and even early open water opportunities. And some of those opportunities are happening at the same time. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I mean, just depends on when people listen to this podcast, but just today, you know, I posted a video of the waters opening up uh, at Franz Jeveny, which is just to the east of Birchdale. And, you know, and so so it's funny because, yep, there's people on the ice right now still ice fishing. However, the focus is looking forward and that rainy river is starting to open up. And what that means is that you have a chance to go down that rainy river when you get all these, I mean, a big, big portion of those walleyes that, uh, that live in Big Traverse Bay, the big open abyss. They're going to be coming into the rainy river and be focused in a small area. They're coming up to spawn. And, you know, our... Uh, 
our walleye season, because we're border water with Canada, uh, Lake of the Woods is extended so that we can fish walleyes through April 14th. It's a, it's a catch and release season only, but I'll tell you something, you got a chance to uh, get into that uh, rainy river and have all these big female walleyes concentrated. And this is where, you know, it's possible to have a hundred fish day. It's possible to catch a 12 pounder. I mean, uh, it's, it, it can be cast. This is also kind of a fun time of the year. I mean, a lot of people will use jigs and, and uh, emerald shiners, but there's a lot of people that will go to those big plastics, those big rib tail plastics and such that, that hang off a big jig head. And, uh, those walleyes just will inhale those things. Um, it's, it's a very special time of the year. It's, it's tradition because it's the first time people can splash their boats in many cases. First time they have a chance to fish walleyes in the open water. And of course you got a chance at a, at a true monster. Uh, you're exactly right. And I have friends and I have to imagine this is not an uncommon thing. And, and they, they headed out and they went up to Lake of the Woods. This was last year, you know, maybe a, another week or two down the road. And they had one vehicle where they pulled a couple of uh, ATVs and some portable fish houses and, and a few buckets of tip ups. They headed up and that right behind them, they had the next truck that had the boat behind it. <laughs> yeah. And, and they spent a day out on the ice. They were tip up fishing, um, for big pike and they did very, very well. And then the next day they took and they headed east onto the river and drove, drove a ways east and were able to get on and catch some of those walleyes you were just talking about. Exactly. It's, it's a really, you know, for an angler, it's a confusing time. Do I ace fish? Do I open water fish? Right now, as we speak, I mean, the big walleye, the, sorry, the big northern, the big pike are just feeding heavy. I mean, we're getting, we're getting them all along that shore, south shoreline. And, uh, you know, the, the reason, you know, everybody goes after those big pike this time of year, number one, you know, we're also a trophy pike destination and we got a lot of pike that are over 40 inches and people know that. I mean, this is no secret, but, you know, for especially being in Minnesota, you just don't get lakes in this region that have so many big pike. You'll get to go way up to the Northwest Territories or in far North Canada to catch these things. And we got them right in Lake of the Woods. And the way the reason they're so um, uh, targeted right now is because, you know, typically pike don't school. But this time of year, those pikes, pike are getting ready to spawn. And we're getting uh, uh, congregated in the pre-spawn areas out in front of bays, out in front of shoreline structure where they spawn. And consequently, and, and they have the feet big on Kyle. So, yep. you know, putting putting that tip up down with a, a great big sucker on a quick strike grig or a, a frozen uh, or a dead Cisco, you know, uh, something like that. I and mean, that is just deadly this time of year. Wow. And, and I'll tell you what, Joe, I've come to a new appreciation probably the last two or three years of what uh, catching a trophy pike really is so specifically because of what you just explained. And, and that is that in so many of our, our destinations and so many of our waters, true trophy pike aren't available. And, yep. and so many of our anglers think of Northern pike as these small, I hate to even say it, but they look at them as a nuisance, right? But when you talk about a trophy pike and the potential to pull one up through the ice, 40 inches plus. Um, that's truly a special fish. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's a rush. <laughs> you know, you, you see the size of these fish that are being posted on Facebook pages all over the place from Lake Lewis right now. And they're huge. And these fish are, I mean, they're, they're monsters and due to they fight. I mean, when you hook one of those with a tip up on, Oh my goodness. I mean, they are, they're, they're unbelievable. And you don't, you don't, you don't know until you feel it though. I mean, that's the thing until you feel the power of a big pike pulling that line through your hands. My goodness. It's just crazy. It, and you know, the thing too, is it's cool is that it's almost tradition for people that 
you know, maybe they don't fix, fish pike all year long. Yet March on Lake of the Woods, they're getting their tip-ups out and they're going after those pike just because it is. It's that special opportunity that people go after. And, 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 you know, that tip up fishing, just that, that whole concept is special in and of itself. And, and like you said, traditional for a lot of people, families and friends, but so often it's a group of friends out on the ice this time of the year, the weather can be beautiful. You, you maybe not even, maybe they maybe don't even set up the portable ice house, right? They're just sitting outside on buckets, sitting out there on, on ice chairs and, and they've got the tip up surrounding them and they're telling stories, having fun. And when that flag goes up, it is chaos because it's a sprint to see who's going to get there first and, and what's going to come up out of that, out of that flag and how big it's going to be. Exactly. And you know, it's funny because it's, it's March in Northern Minnesota. Guess what? It can be one of those days where it's 50 degrees and you literally, you, you need to put sunblock on because the strong March sun, the reflection off the snow and ice, it'll give you a sunburn, especially at, you know, being in the, the winter all along, or it could be cold as heck with sideways snow and you are in your collapsible looking out your window, watching those flags pop in that wind. I mean, you right. never know, but, but the point of it is, is that that's what's tradition. You remember both times. You know, there'll be times where it's super nice. Those fish should be going and you have an okay day. The next day it's a blizzard. And uh, you know what? Those flags are popping like there's no tomorrow. You never know. You know, the one thing I'll say is uh, it's important, you know, when you're, when you're chip up fishing, we always encourage this, but have your stuff ready to roll. You know, have your, your needle nose pliers, have your jaw spreaders, have your camera ready to roll. So that when you get those big pike up, you can snap that picture, get them unhooked, get them on button and get them back in that water. You know, especially when it's cold out, uh, their gills can freeze and fins can freeze. And, you know, they're, they're such an incredible big fish. It takes a long time to grow a big pike. And, you know, we want to take good care of them, obviously. Sure. Sure does. And Joe, one of the things we've learned to do over the last few years is to, uh, to have the tools you mentioned, but also we'll always keep, uh, we'll keep a lip gripper. One of these little, um, they look like a pliers, but it's a, it's a, it's a little tool that you can grab onto their lip without hurting the fish and you can slide them back down into the hole where they can stay in the water while you take that camera out so they're not laying out exposed to the elements. Much, much better for the fish. Then you can take your picture and slip that fish back in the water and let them go. Exactly, yeah. And then the fish actually looks better when you pull it out too because it's wet and it's, it's still got its wits about them, you know. That's, that's exactly right. So tell me this, if this is uh, if this is a myth buster thing, or if it really happens, Joe, uh, I, I've heard stories of, of folks doing the tip ups, you know, and you mentioned the suckers, you mentioned the frozen herring and the frozen smelt and the frozen bait. Is it true? Some people use hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, there, there's two things that are true. Number one, this weekend, people were fishing those pike in the shallows and were catching monster walleyes on those tip-ups. That, that's the first one thing that happens. Mm. The other thing is, yes, they do use hot dogs. And I'll tell you, the cheaper the better. I mean, if you can go to a, you know, a Walmart or something like that and get those great value dogs, the fattiest darn hot dogs you can get, those pike will eat hot dogs. And it's it's a crazy thing, but you know what? Hey, pike are opportunists. You know, they, uh, they'll take uh, uh, something that's still, that's food that they don't have to chase. And same thing happens too. Sometimes one of the techniques for catching those big pike on a tip up is laying your frozen bait on the, on, in the mud or on the sand on the bottom, because those pike like to come and pick up those dead, dead fish right off the bottom. They're, you know, they're, they're scavengers. Right. The other thing is a lot of times when you're fishing uh, out in deep water during the winter, you'll see those big, you look down your hole and people say it all the time. They see huge pikes from under their hole. Well, one of the reasons is you're catching those small walleyes and saugers. Not every one of them makes it down. 
they come back up under that ice. That's a free meal. They don't have to chase it. You know, a, a fish's instinct is that they want to expend as little energy as possible in, in achieving their meal. No different than, than why a walleye will feed in a low light condition where it has an advantage in its prey. On Lake of the Woods, we have the stained water, so they feed during the day. But a pike is the same way. You know, pike doesn't want to go chasing stuff. Too much energy. When they can get that free meal, they're going to take it. And that happens a lot in the wild. Whether it's hibernating frogs, fish that have perished over the winter, um, anglers letting fish go that perished, whatever the case might be. And that's, I think, what that hot dog represents. Sure. Nature is going to take care of itself. They're going to find the, the, the most opportune source of, of protein and energy that they can find. That, that makes total sense. Although it's strange to think about using a hot dog as bait. I'm, I'm, I'm going to admit that's, that's a little bit strange, but uh, it's pretty pretty cool idea. And uh, it does make sense when you explain it that way. So, Joe, we talked about the Rainy River. We talked about some of the open water opportunities now at this time of the year up there. We talked about uh, some of the trophy pike what are folks doing up in the angle? What what opportunities do we have for late ice here uh, around those islands and up in the northwest angle? You know, up, up there, you know, uh, uh, most people are fishing through resorts because there really isn't a like a, main, a public ice road that people will go stage off of with wings and things like that. So the ice road up there is really meant to get to the island resorts. Uh, we have about a dozen resorts up in the northwest angle. We got six on the mainland which that community is called Angle Inlet. And we got another half dozen on the islands, on uh, both Flag and Oak Island. And, you know, uh, um, up there, you know, they, uh, they're they still ice fishing. Uh, some of the resorts are, some have closed up for the year. Um, it's incredible walleye fishing. They have a lot of structure. It's very different because you are fishing structure and sometimes open mud, but it's it's very different than the South Basin. That South Basin, you know, it's it's fishing that big open area of mud that those walleyes, big schools of walleyes are roaming, uh, sodders are roaming. Uh, and then there's certain areas, you know, west by by Arneson's Long Point, uh, that area that uh, has some structure they fish. Mm-hmm. Angle is all structure. It's it's people are fishing these reefs, the edge of the reefs, et cetera, et cetera. So when you talk about pike fishing up there, you know, really they, they, the locals do it. Really, from a tourism perspective, a lot of the pike fishing that goes on is really focused on that south end of the lake. Now, I'll tell you what, when it comes to fishing, you know, walleyes through the ice, you get in your jumbo perch. And, of course, if you want to catch those monster crappies, you know, that's something that uh, our, our northwest angle resorts will slide into Ontario for amongst the islands. And they be getting those big, big crappies all winter long. And then, of course, Kyle, you know, as you talk about that ice going out and then the open water opportunities that start presenting themselves. Um, you know, that's where the Northwest Angle will shine too. come the Minnesota fishing opener. Uh, I believe it's May 11th this year, you know, uh, um, around the whole lake. That's a, a cold water bite. Most are going to be jigging, a jig and a minnow, whether it's a frozen shiner, a fathead, um, whatever the case might be. That is just a go-to for those walleyes all over the place. A lot of times those walleyes are shallow. They're, they're coming off uh, spawning, they're post-spawn. And uh, that's probably the best way to catch them. I will tell you that I have, just experimented with pulling crankbaits in ice cold water too. And you know what, you know, walleyes hit them. I mean, I think a walleye will hit a crankbait any time of the year, as long as you're, you're kind of going slower. You know what I mean? That is interesting to, uh, to use that. Well, and, and honestly, that's a technique that a lot of folks are, are kind of in their mind have reserved for later on midsummer after, uh, after things warm up a bit, but, uh, well noted that, that, those walleyes and, and I'm sure the pike and everything too are going to hit crankbaits, even if the water's cold. 
Yep. I, I experimented up in, uh, there's an area, uh, up at the Northwest angle called the flag Island flats. And it's, it's an area that most people, if they, if you fish it there, you kind of know. And it's about six, maybe seven feet deep at the most, but it is across a big area. And, uh, you know, I, I thought to myself, man, I, sometime I should experiment and pull cranks along that. And boy, I did it with a couple of friends, you know, a couple of years ago. And boy, I'll tell you, not only did we catch walleyes, we had a big fish at 20 and a half. And, you know, um, wow. it, I, I just, I, you know, you kind of, as time goes on, you kind of change your, your, your norms when it comes to walleye fishing. And my norm had always been cold water jigging and Lindy rigging and, you know, that sort of thing. And boy, I tell you what, the, the more I've been around crankbaits in cold water, whether it's the rainy river in spring and fall, maybe it's the main lake or the Northwest angle early in the year, those cranks do work, especially if you're not finding fish, especially if you're not catching fish, put on a shad wrap drive around at one, you know, 1.7, 1.8, just get some action on that lure. And, you know, it can be really an effective way to find those fish and target them. That is a great tip for folks listening to, uh, to not ever exclude any particular bait at any time of the year, but really to have an open mind and, and approach it as a, uh, another option, whatever the technique is, um, and, and not be so confined by those preconceived thoughts. And we, we come up with these ideas in our head as walleye anglers, and I'm, I'm guilty of it as well. And, you know, the longer I live and I guess the more walleye wisdom I get, you know, I, I kind of throw some of the rules. I mean, I keep some obviously close to my vest, but some of them I throw out the window and, you know, I really try to keep an open mind. You know, I remember the time I was fall fishing on the rainy river jigging for walleyes and, you know, I was catching a fish here and a fish there and two ranger boats were, were trolling by me with Iowa. I remember they had Iowa stickers. I know they're from Iowa and they're both trolling by. And as I saw them approaching, they were catching fish way faster than was. They were catching some big walleyes in that rainy river. And, you know, I, uh, as they came close enough, I could talk with them and I was just kidding around. I said, gosh, you guys can't be pulling cranks. The water's too cold. And they said, they started laughing. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that right? You know, we used to think the same thing. And a few years ago, we weren't getting it done jigging. So we started pulling cranks and just careered I and mean, just did really well. So now when we target the rainy river, you know, we come up there in that cold water period um, and, and target cranking. And uh, I just thought to myself, I should do more of it. And boy, you know, uh, I've, I've, I've talked to more and more people who've done that. Even people that catch their fist jigging. I've talked to people that have experimented. I'm just going to, I got my fish. I'm just going to pull some cranks just to see what would happen. They got more fish, bigger fish I, I, in some instances, you know, and so I just say, gosh, you know, it's such a cranking is such a good way to, to mix it up, to cover water, to catch those big fish. So I'm not saying that that's the end all be all, but I'm saying as a walleye angler, we have a lot of tools in our walleye tool belt. Don't be afraid to pull some of those, uh, those other tools out. You're, you're exactly right. And the same goes through the ice, Joe. I mean, in all honesty, we used to never think that, uh, that summer baits could be used through the ice. And, and here we are, I know on Lake of the Woods, your chubby darters, your, uh, your live target golden shiners, your rip and wrap, some of these noise-making lures are, are catching fish up there all year long. Absolutely, they're catching fish. And, you know, not only are they catching fish, but if those walleyes or saugers are in a neutral mode, it's pulling them in, and then they're sliding over and hitting your dead stick with your live minnow on it. Yep. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's multi-purpose. And, uh, you know, there's times, too, where I'll, uh, you know, when those fish are sluggish, I'll, I'll put on a, a lure like uh, like you mentioned, uh, a noise noise attracting aggressive type lure. I'll put that lure on not only to attract fish, but you know there's times when those fish are, are in a very neutral mode. There are some fish that, that that'll turn them on. You'll get that reaction strike as they call it. And I, I can tell you many times I'm watching my vexlar and you know there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing. I'm ripping a ripping ramp or what a live target, whatever. And all of a sudden, right now there's a bright 
big red mark on my Vex, and it's three feet off the bottom. I'm that dish is freaking hot. Now it's just a matter of reeling up to your, your lure and put it in front of it and bouncing it twice. They're going to eat it. Game but, but on. But that, that's, that's a game on. And that, but that's that reaction strike, see? So sometimes when those fish are in a very docile mood, all really downsized, go small, use a little piece of minnow tail, little minnow head, you know, uh, uh, maybe even a waxy or a neural larvae for some of those fish. But at the same time, you can go the other direction. You can go a little bit bigger and get aggressive and try to get some of those fish to get that reaction strike going too. And, and they both work. They're both worth trying. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And that's why, you know, just a rule of thumb when you're fishing with, if you're in a state that you can use two lines, um, like for ice fishing in Minnesota or uh, even the Dakotas for the summer fishing, use a couple lines. Or if you're in Minnesota, you can use one line, but you got one or two buddies in the boat. That's when you experiment. Everybody start with a different color. Somebody use a rattle. Somebody use no rattle. Somebody use a shad style. Somebody use a, 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 a straight you know, crank or a, um, you know, wider wobble, skinny wobble, you know, uh, try different things. And with your ice fishing, try one with a rattle, no rattle, try one that's real aggressive. Try one that's very subtle. Um, you know, a dead stick, somebody use a plain hook, somebody use a, uh, a gold gigabit, uh, try different things until you figure out what's happening. Hooking your minnows with a, with a dead stick, you know, uh, uh, hook your hook this last weekend. I was hooking my, uh, uh, my dead stick minnows, I was hooking right behind the dorsal like I normally do, and just underneath that skin so the fish is uh, the minnows alive. Well, I tried something different. I tried hooking that uh, minnow with my uh, my hook. I'd put it just into the mouth of the minnow and just up through the kind of nose hook it, and that thing was really swimming then. Boy, that got some extra fish that I wasn't getting otherwise. Yep. But again, it's it's having those tools in your tool belt, working with whom you're fishing with to figure out what the walleyes want that day and in some cases that hour. And that's what's so fun because you can work with your buddies and, you know, there's sometimes there's the element of competition, but a lot of times it's when you put your heads together and you figure something like that out that all of a sudden that sticks with all of you. And that's a memory or, or a, um, something that you're just going to take away and, and maybe a little tidbit you can use for later as well. Absolutely. How many times have you been out fishing and you kind of stubbed a little bit and then you, you talked to somebody else who was fishing that same day in the same body of water and they did something that, uh, you know, uh, was very different and uh, they caught fish, you didn't. And you say to yourself, you know what, why didn't I try that? But see, that's where you keep that in your back pocket for next time. Exactly. Exactly. Joe, um, we can't, we can't wrap up until uh, we, we do get a little bit of information out because there's, there's plenty of time left in this season, whether it be on the ice and, and obviously uh, uh, we've got open water ahead of us, but if folks are interested in finding, you know, lodging or guides or, uh, just fishing reports, uh, making a trip up to Lake of the Woods here yet, uh, this late ice or early spring season, where would you direct them? What are re- what recommendations do you give folks? Yep. You know, there, there's two. Uh, we, we put a lot of information from Lake of the Woods tourism about our whole area, and uh, and we keep it up to date. You know, where the open water line is in the Rainy River, well, fish, d- weekly fishing reports. We put out the uh, daily reports from some of the resorts. But, you know, first off, uh, Search, uh, search our Facebook page out. It's Lake of the Woods Tourism. And, you know, there's a lot of Lake of the Woods pages, but ours is Lake of the Woods Tourism. That's first and foremost. Secondly, our website, it's kind of a central repository for, you know, access points on the Rainy River, uh, fishing reports, lodging, everything Lake of the Woods. And that web address is Lake of the Woods MN for Minnesota, Lake of the Woods MN.com. And folks, no matter if it's a rainy river destination, if it's a trophy pike trip that you're planning on late ice, if it's a trip up to the angle, you're going to get all of that information at that same source. It's all there. I can tell you it's a great, great 
information source and uh, a good first place to go when you start mapping out what that trip is going to look like. And, uh, and I, and I know you can reach out to Joe on social media and Facebook as well. If you've got questions, he's always very good to respond and uh, has some really, really valuable information when you're putting those trips together. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it very much. Always a pleasure talking to you and uh, always a pleasure listening and, and getting all of us fired up to make a trip up to Lake of the Woods. Thanks. Thanks uh, for thank, taking some time. Yep. Thank you for the opportunity. Good luck fishing, everybody. Again, folks, that's Joe Henry, Lake of the Woods Tourism Director and uh, all-around guru from uh, Lake of the Woods when it comes to fishing and the outdoors. Um, we're going to wrap it up for this episode Big, big thank you to Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear. Get Eskimo.com. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram. We appreciate their support of Shack Talk and uh, all that they do to make this happen. Hey, we love hearing from our listeners. Thank you all for those of you who have sent in feedback. You've sent comments. You've sent suggestions, ideas on what we can do to uh, to, to have topics for the podcast. It's uh, It's so appreciated. We love, love hearing from all of you. Um, you can follow me, Kyle Agri, on social media as well as Brewer Agri Outdoors, breweragrioutdoors.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Folks, until next time, get out on the ice, be safe, and good fishing.